1: Welcome back to the Evolving Digital Self Podcast. I'm so excited to introduce to you my friend, Dolph Barron, who is an international leadership speaker. He was cited by Inc Magazine as one of the top 100 leadership speakers to hire two years in a row, focusing on assisting organizations become purpose driven by developing purpose driven leaders who generate fierce loyalty. Dov is also the host of the global number one podcast for Fortune 500 listeners. Dov, welcome.
2: Thank you, Heidi. It's a pleasure to be here.
1: It's such a treat to have you on my show this time and get to hear more about your work instead of talking about mine. So can you tell our listeners a little bit about what do you mean by fierce loyalty?
2: Yeah, thanks for asking. There is, in fact, a talent crisis that most uh, Fortune 500 companies are dealing with today in that they can't keep their people loyal. And they love to blame millennials. <laughs> and in some way, that's true. It is millennials, but it's not because they are flaky or entitled all the horrible labels we like to put on them. They basically, millennials are these amazing generation who understand that they're not limited to finding that job, that career for the rest of their lives. When I entered the workforce, it was a 20 to 40 year job career choice. They understand that a career is four years. And if a career is four years and your company sucks, why the hell would I spend any time here? So when I entered the workforce, people were like, well, you know, I'll give it a year, I'll give it six months, I'll see what it is. They give it a day, maybe they'll give it to lunch and they're ready to walk. And I actually applaud them for that. But how do you get them to become fiercely loyal and actually stay with you for an entire career? That's what it's actually about.
1: And so important in today's market, because our employees are really our most valuable asset. So how do you think technology plays a role in that? Because obviously, our the whole way we work is changing. How does technology impact loyalty?
2: It impacts it on both sides, so it can impact it on both sides. Obviously, we are more digitally connected than we've ever been, but unfortunately, we're actually less connected at a very personal level. And, you know, there's a story I tell in the the book, Fiercely Loyal, where four people, you're sitting in a restaurant, you're looking over and you see four people sitting at a table and they've all got their heads down. You think maybe they're praying and you realize, no, they're all on their iPhones. Um, So, you know, we're less connected and we're connecting with people who are, miles away when our present with us and not connected to the people who are present with us. So obviously it can be a way to disengage, but it can also be a phenomenal way to engage because as you know, now we're employing people who are literally continents away. So social media and digital connection can be very powerful in allowing us to connect. And one of the ways it's useful, particularly in fierce loyalty is you get to know more about your people but to, to create that level of loyalty, this is key. You have got to know your people, not by their title, not by their job outline, but by who they are. So if you've got somebody in your team who maybe works in another country or on another continent, you, you get the through digital connection, you get an opportunity to find out stuff you would never ask them personally, but you get to know that and you get to find common ground and allow the connection because that's what it's about. Fierce loyalty is about relationship and that's what we've got to have.
1: Absolutely, and relationships are so key in terms of being able to really understand how to build trust and relationships that make our businesses grow and thrive. So I'm curious, what kind of tools do you use in terms of, you've obviously got a team that helps you do all of the incredible work that you do from your podcast to your consulting and whatnot. What kind of technology do you find helps keep the glue for that team?
2: So I I will start by saying that I am a digital uh, or no, not digital, but I am a technological imbecile. Uh, (laughs) So I am not very techie guy. I am very online, very digital. We have digital products. We produce stuff. I'm very, very active and social, but I don't do the tech. And that's one of the cool things is that I have a team who uses the tech. And so, on my marketing and distribution team, there are seven people who are managed by somebody else through a whole bunch of different platforms that range from Slack to Google Docs to, Google, you know, Google back the backstuffing Google. See, I'm even using technical terms like back stuff um, You could tell how technical savvy this guy is. But the thing about it is that uh, that I like is. Probably as little as six or seven years ago, I was the tech guy within my company. I don't need to be anymore for me to be able to use them. And I think this is part of the, the trap we fall into. We think, well, I'm just not a tech person. Okay, you don't need to be. You just need to know enough to be able to leverage that and have people on your team who can leverage that. I used to do all the back end of my websites and all those kind of things. I don't do that anymore. I add that to my team who put it in place. And I think this is one of the things about being technically and, and digitally moving forward is understanding that you've got to play on your strengths and find the right team who can assist you to do exactly what they're good at, which may in fact be the very thing you're not good at. You can't learn everything.
1: Absolutely. And I think that's one of the key things that when I'm working with individual clients and leadership is really about sort of understanding what your strengths are, understanding how to delegate, but Learning enough so that you you know, you have an understanding of what's happening, but you don't necessarily have to be doing the doing part. And so or the really, fixing of it. Or the fixing of it. And but, but know, most
2: of us in overwhelm if we're not technically advanced.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And and really knowing what your limitations are, but also understanding how to filter out the extra stuff. Whether that's actually filtering out your, your mailbox or whether it's actually filtering out the different tasks and work that needs to get done in order to scale your business. So, I think that's a, a really important thing that you've been able to accomplish. I'm sure you've had some interesting experiences in that scaling process in terms of as you said it was only, you know, 10 years ago that you were doing it all. Mhm. So, and do you I have any that interesting best stories?
2: Best. Yeah, that, see that that's the key thing is that I can fully own that I was very uncomfortable giving that stuff away. People who are entrepreneurial, we tend to think that we, you know, we got to do it all and we don't. And we've actually, you know, we've got to delegate, we've got to scale out, we've got to let other people do what they're great at. But initially it was, it was challenging for me. And I found myself micromanaging and trying to correct and check and doing all the things that are classical problems inside the entrepreneurial mind as opposed to saying, where is my strength? My strength is content. I know that. I can you know, I'm a content machine. I produce new leadership material all the time. I was talking to my distribution person and she was saying about, you know, she says, Do you know you've written five books this year? I'm like, Really? I thought it was three. She says, no, it's five. And that doesn't include everything else you've done, including a hundred podcasts or whatever else it is. And so you've got to hone in on what is your strength. So, for instance, I, I recently got a friend of mine in, involved. When I say this guy is not technical, I just want to get, you know, people who are listening to your podcast because they're digital savvy or they aspire to be digitally savvy. So let me just help you out. A very good friend of mine who I actually trained to be a speaker wanted to do a podcast, and I thought it was a great idea for his niche, is particularly fabulous niche for him. But he only learned to copy and paste this year and I'm talking text so no technical background whatsoever but I was able to connect him with a fellow icon from the summit where you and I met who was able to assist him in all the technical side he just records puts it in a Dropbox, and it's done the chief technical officer of my company is my business partner who is my wife oh we need to edit this video I don't know okay (laughs) Ren, do you know? Yeah, she knows and she does it and does a beautiful job of it. You know, she builds these things and learns. Now, for her, it's not her specialty, but she has enjoyed learning those things, and she's very creative and done great things with them. So I think you've got to look at what you're good at, what you're not good at, but you've also got to look at what you enjoy, because if you enjoy something and you're not really good at it, you're also going to be enthusiastic about learning it. But if you're not really enjoying it and you're no good at it, then it's just going to be murderously a slug. Find somebody else.
1: Well, and I think it also brings up another point, which is just because you can do it doesn't necessarily mean that you should. And in terms of oh, you know very, our very true, our time is so valuable. I mean, I'm very technical, and yet, and so I can do all of these things on my own. But like your client. I chose to, in doing my podcast, I do the recordings, I upload them to Dropbox, and somebody else does all the production so that I can focus on my high-value actions and my work. Because otherwise, I'd be spending my time doing podcast production, which I could do, and it would be fun for me to learn all of the, you know, the more in-depth pieces, but it's not a good use of my time. And I think that's I, another I, piece.
2: You know, that that's such a good point, and I think that that's, again, we're back to this, the battle of the entrepreneur is… I can, so I will, as opposed to, is it the highest value for my time? And I think that this is a battle entrepreneurially because it's like, well, I can't afford somebody else to do it, but I can't afford to do it myself. And I think that that's the leap of faith where we have to say, it's a higher cost for me because, I mean, you know, this is what I do. Me teaching somebody to do something will take longer than me doing it myself. But me teaching somebody to do it once, twice, maybe even three times to help, help them get going is a large investment of time initially. But over time, it's a much bigger saving. And, it, and that's, that's hard to get your head around at the time when you're thinking, geez, I just got to get this out now. So you're absolutely right. Is that That is a, a significant test of, of self and of growing and scaling who you are and what you do.
1: Absolutely. And I think it's important to remember that it's not just the entrepreneur that actually struggles with that because, and part of it is, I mean, I own the fact that, you know, I'm a perfectionist and you look at the Enneagram and you look at all these studies, it's like, I want things done a certain way. And I have this expectation in my head of what that certain way is. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's hard for me to communicate exactly what that is, because I just assume that other people have that same vision of what that perfection means. So I think part of it is also sort of that personal development side of understanding what our own weaknesses are. And I know, you know, perfectionism can also be an advantage, but really being aware of it and understanding how to manage that in a way. So it doesn't become disruptive for your business, but rather becomes a tool that you can use. So do you use any personal development things for yourself in order to check and balance your own awareness of how you are as a leader or your clients as leaders?
2: Well, thank you for asking. Of course, that's my specialty area and I've spent 34 years serving my clients in just that, in developing themselves as leaders and becoming great leaders. And yeah, and I certainly for myself, it's something I've been involved with for more than 40 years in my own development and there is no end. And people are always like, well, when are we there? When are we done? When they put you in a box and they bury you underground, and it isn't, <laughs> that, then you, you might be done. Might. Maybe. It's possible. <laughs> but I'm not entirely certain of that. I think that here's the piece. We, we hear a lot now about mindfulness. We hear a lot about, about self-knowledge. Uh, we even hearing things about, around emotional intelligence. But the bottom line is that all those things are great, but you have to start with self-knowledge. So you can't be mindful if you've not got self-knowledge. You can't develop if you don't have self-knowledge. So you have to start there. You can't be re- You have to come back to, okay, what do I know about me? And so, you know, here's a question. I'm going to put this to the listener as you're listening in right now. I'm going to ask you a question, and I know you're going to have an automatic answer, and that's okay. But then I'm going to ask you to take it at a bit of level, and I'll say to you, who are you? Now, if you were just to answer that, Heidi, you'd say your name, right? Because that's who we think we are. That's the label we got at birth. And and they go, no, that's your name. Who are you? Oh, well, uh, I guess I'm a woman or a man. Okay, that's your gender. Who are you? Well, I'm a Christian. No, that's your religion. Who are you? Oh, I get it. I, I guess I'm a human. No, that is your species. Who are you? Oh, you mean like I'm an American? No. Who are you? And and like that knowledge of self, that taking it at deeper and deeper levels. And so you actually start to genuinely question because most people have never questioned those things. And so we run our lives by those labels I just named off or some other label rather than actually getting that depth of self-knowledge. If you want to be a great leader, you've got to know yourself because here's the thing. As a leader, it is your responsibility to know your people. But you can't know your people if you're looking through filtered lenses. And you're always looking through filtered lenses if you don't know yourself. Even if you know yourself, you're still looking through filtered lenses. But the difference is you go, oh, that's my bullshit. That's my filter. That's my nonsense. I get it. No, Mm -hmm. actually, let me find out more about you. Who are you really? What matters to you? What drives you as my employee? What drives you as the person I work with? What is it that matters most to you? What is it that gets you up in the morning? What is it that makes you not want to get up in the morning? Finding out what drives people, what, what pushes people away. That depth of knowledge of yourself allows you to then have, and here's the magic word, empathy and compassion for those people. If you don't have that, all the digital technology in the world is going to be great, but it's never going to make you a great leader. Mm-hmm. It's going to give you a technical advantage. But here's the thing. No matter how technical we get, your business is reliant upon your relationships. Leadership is relationship. As a leader, you are here to influence and as an influencer, you can't do that. You're influencing either negatively or positively. There isn't much that's neutral. And so you've got to get that self-knowledge to commit to that and saying, I'm here to have positive impact. This is why we do so much work around purpose because it requires depth of self-knowledge. Here's why I do what I do here. And it's deeper than a why it's what we call the why of your why. And it's what pushes you to, to go, okay, Here's the difference I want to make in the world today. And I want to find out what it is in you as my employee, as my peer, as my friend, as my beloved, whatever it might be.
1: I love it. It sounds so simple and yet it's so complex because it's constantly changing. And if we aren't aware of how we respond to things, we're not aware of how those filters evolve. Is there anything that you use as a tool with your clients, or that your clients have made you aware of that, that might help you sort of recognize those filters, and particularly if it's something that's maybe technology-based?
2: Well, uh, the first thing is this, which is a journal. Mm-hmm. A, a journal is, I tell this story uh, many years ago when my wife and I were first dating, she came over and, and I said, oh, I wrote about you in my journal today. And she says, oh, can I see? And I said, of course not. And she's like, why? It's in my journal okay. And she says, well, why can't I see it? And I said, if I just vomited in a bucket, would you want to dig into that? And she's like, that's disgusting. No, of course not. And I said, well, this is, that's what a journal is. It's a place you go to emotionally vomit. And when you do, there'll be a lot of vomit in there, but there'll also be a couple of gems. And sometimes you have to dig around in the vomit to find the gems. That's what a journal is. Now, of course, many people are, will use a digital journal now. And, and I think that that's, you know, I take a lot of notes on my phone. But when it comes to emotional stuff, we know the brain works differently from handwritten than it does from typing, and it allows the the hippocampus to work differently. It crosses over from left and right hemisphere in a very different way when you're doing that, and there's a different set of neurochemicals that are released when we're doing things technologically. Here's one of the tools that I have given to my clients that I found to be very powerful in this, which is... I will ask them, so let me just do it with you, if I may. Tell me something you believe.
1: I believe in hope.
2: Okay, you believe in hope. So then I would say to you, I want you to go away and make a video and send it to me that's no more than two to three minutes long about why you believe in hope.
1: Mm.
2: Right? Now, this is is interesting because it's very personal. However, the technology of doing a video creates a whole nother level of self-consciousness. So it's like, uh, okay, I could tell you, I could maybe even write it, but you want me to do it on video for you to look at? And so all that shit in our head about being criticized comes up. And it's very powerful because oftentimes I'll say, what did you think of it?
1: Mm. Reflection. When where
2: do you feel like you backed up? Where do you feel like you didn't really reveal? Because one of the things about, and I talked a lot about in Fiercely Loyal, is that if you're going to be a great leader, you have to have enormous vulnerability. You've got to be willing to fully step into that. Again, I'm not technical. That's a vulnerability. But so is a vulnerability about, here's what I'm struggling with in my life, in my business, in my marriage, in my relationship with my children, or whatever it might be. That level of disclosure is so very, very powerful. And so using a video is a great way to do that. Now, taking video, audio, podcasts, all those kinds of things, and doing something similar that you do for your people, as in those that you lead, whether those are in companies or whether that's your customers and clients, and doing exactly, the, but revealing something that is deeply personal. And actually, I always say, please don't do it highly polished mm. because it undermines it. Just do it raw. Just like, hey, you know, a friend of mine just did a video of this two days ago and he's got his cup of coffee and he goes, yep, this is what I look like in the morning. He goes, takes a lot of work to look like this. He has like, hair's all mangled and sticking up everywhere. But, you know, he's just got his cup of coffee. He's got his reading glasses on. But it's interesting because I watch his post. Yeah. The engagement on that post alone was two, three times more because we crave. We crave authenticity. And part of the reason we crave, we crave the authenticity is because social media is bravado, mm-hmm. right? So here's me and my best life. And isn't it wonderful? And you live your best life. And last night I had chicken a la doodleberry, you know, and, and here's the photograph of it. And then we had the springle shpungle salad and, you know, and all these wonderful pictures. And Here's my divine children who never misbehave <laughs> and all this crap. Right? as opposed to being real. So when, that, when real comes at us, it's so refreshing. We are so craving of it, so hungry for it. It's incredibly powerful. So I would suggest doing just that. And here's another thing. Use technology to stay connected to people in that very real way. So there are now uh, software like Bonbon, which I really like, which is a video emailing so you can you can send a video message to somebody you know it shows up in the email looking like it's a live video but you actually have to, when you click on the video to hit play it actually takes you somewhere else but that's fine but it's a personal message yeah. and just think about how different that is than hey nice to meet you in an email yeah versus hey i'm really glad that i got to meet you thank you for reaching out if i can help you or be of service it's like You took, and the interesting thing about it, particularly, you know this, because we just did this before we went live. I can do that faster than I can type. (laughs) (laughs) So that's an example where technology is wonderful because I can do a two minute video, which would take me 20 minutes to write, right? Because I got to think about it and I got to try and type it out and then I got to go spell check it. And then my grammar's terrible. My spelling's wrong. You know, hey, I'm going to say it right. So it's an example of technology being very powerful to make a real connection. And that would be one of the things I would definitely recommend.
1: I love that. And you touched on another point there, which is sort of where I wanted to go for the second half of the interviews. What do you do for self-care and well-being? Because I think that that's something You know it's partially to do with relationships. It's partially just one of the biggest challenges for leaders today is that their stress levels are through the roof. They're not taking care of themselves. And it's a very important thing to do, as we all know.
2: That's a really great point. Self-care is desperately low for people, uh, particularly in the leadership roles, whatever that leadership role might be. And I think, and I'm going to be more specific here, I think that men are crap at it. Uh, I think we're terrible at it, you know, societally. And by the way, I don't make a lot of distinctions between men and women because here's what I believe. People can believe differently. It's okay. But... What I believe is that the difference between men and women is nothing more than a social construct. And what I mean by that is if you grow up in a family where you're dressed in pink and told that it's okay to have your feelings, then you have your feelings. And if you grow up in a family where you're dressed in blue and you're told your feelings are not okay, then you're not okay with your feelings. And when Einstein died, they took his brain out because they wanted to find out what was so miraculous about his brain. And what they discovered was it was very much the same as anybody else's brain, except for one area which was the hippocampus that joins the left and right hemisphere, it looked like a woman's brain. Ah, and he talks about imagination and he talks about emotion, but he thought mathematically. He used both sides of his brain very well. So this is the thing. And societally we're conditioned away from or towards something. And so in self-care, we have to take care of our mind and make sure that we're feeding ourselves the right information and we have to make sure that we take care of our emotions just as well. And very often what makes us so stressed out and so ill and diseased is that we've not taken care of the emotions. You know, again, this is not my opinion. This is science. You can do the research on it. That the emotion is impacts the body and the body is going to go into dis-ease because of that. So emotional care. Again, we're back to journaling. Here's the next thing. Very important. You have got to find your tribe. You've got to find your tribe. And that's not a marketing term I'm talking about because, of course, that's a different term. Marketing tribe is one thing. But your tribe, people who understand you, who get you. And, again, they can't get you. They can't understand you if you're not willing to be vulnerable and reveal who you are. And you can't do that if you haven't done some self-inquiry and developed some self-knowledge and found yourself a good therapist, a counselor, a coach, a mentor people who you can be around and be real and raw with. So part of your self-care is emotional self-care. And that comes down to, guess what? We've gone in a circle, relationships. So here's the question I want to ask you. And I asked this, I talked about this in Fiercely Loyal. In your mind right now, what I want you to do is I want you to picture two people. On one side of you is a person you've known for three to five years, who is a close, loyal, fiercely loyal, trusted friend. On the other side of you, person you've known for about the same amount of time, three to five years, but that person is an acquaintance. What is the difference? Mm. It's not time. It's vulnerability. It's reciprocal vulnerability. The trusted loyal friend knows your shit. You know their shit. You don't use it on each other. You Mm -hmm. care about each other. You strip away the mask. That's part of self-care. That's how we actually take care of ourselves is we put ourselves around people who can hold us up to what we're absolutely capable of, the magnificence. You know, when I work with my clients, I say, listen to me. I am going to be a champion for you as a leader. I'm going to be a champion for you in such a way that I will fight for you with you. And they go, what do you mean? I will fight your ego to take care of you. If your ego wants to not take care of you, I am going to step in. I'm going to kick your ass and I'm going to hold you lovingly in a way you've never been held, so you feel the depth of what it really feels like to be connected, cared for, because I believe you are here on this planet for a purpose, that you were born magnificent, perfect, and whole, and there's never been anything wrong with you, except you got some crappy conditioning that we need to tear away. So part of self-care is making sure that you have that tribe of people who can hold you. Now, the, the proviso on that is these are not people who blow smoke up your skirt they are not people who tell you you're wonderful when you're behaving like a dick. There who are people who are holding you and saying, you know, you're behaving poorly and you're better than that. The other day, my wife and I were, were having breakfast with some people. And after breakfast, she said, I'd like to speak to you about something. And I said, okay. She goes, I know you don't want to be this way, but did you recognize that you did this? And I went, oh, damn. Thank you. That's a loving, intimate relationship. She didn't attack me. She didn't tell me I was wrong. She asked me who I want to be, and was that aligned with who I wanted to be? And the answer was no. Was I sad and disappointed in myself? Yes. Was I deeply grateful for that level of commitment and loyalty to our relationship and to me being a better human being, being the man I want to be, to stepping into my deep greatness? We all need that. That's so vital to our care.
1: Oh, I love that. I love that. I think there's so important that you emphasize, actually, the emotional self-care and all of those pieces. Because often when I ask about self-care, you really only get the response about, oh, well, you know, we got to have a regular exercise routine. And all of those things, of course, are very important. And particularly for those of us who work in the digital world, we don't get up out of our seats enough. I mean, it's really those are some really Obvious, but sometimes ignored problems. But we often forget about the more sort of subtle and less talked about and more taboo subject of the emotional self care. And, and I think you made a beautiful point about the tribe. And in my language, I refer to that as your peeps. And I, you know, I have my peeps and couldn't do without them. I mean, they're just, they're the people that are there for me. And I think that that's something that, Everybody needs to find who that is for them. And initially, sometimes it's our family, but then it sort of becomes your chosen family. Those are the people that you can rely on when the chips are down and it gets messy. They can handle the mess.
2: Absolutely. And and it's interesting, you know, you brought up family because I consider my tribe my, my chosen family, as you just said. And I think it's important for people to realize that sometimes members of your family can be in that tribe. And sometimes you want to keep them as far away from that tribe as possible Mm -hmm. because they're actually poisonous. And sometimes they're poisonous for one or two reasons, in that they're vindictive and mean, disguised as loving, right, because they're family. And sometimes they're incredibly damaging because they want you to stay where you are because they don't want to be left behind. And so it's really important to recognize that, that sometimes it's not mean, but sometimes it is. And you've got to make that bigger decision. And it's interesting because, you know, you're working with leaders. You understand this. You're working with very highly successful people like myself. And so often my clients are the people who are crazy successful. They're the people who other people look at and go, I want to be you when I grow up, right? That they're making all that money. And I was having a conversation with one this morning. It's not unusual to make four or five million a year, no problem, as pretty much a two-man business. So doing okay, you know. And at the same time, there's deep loneliness. Same person stands on a stage and, you know, thousands of people are applauding, but there's deep loneliness because they don't have that tribe. They don't have somebody like me who will say, Uh, excuse me, do you know you're full of shit right now? And they'll go, and and, I mean, I said that to him this morning, and he starts howling laughing. I go, okay, so stop giving me the rhetoric you give everybody else because you get that I don't care about that. I care about you. And he starts laughing. He goes, oh, yeah, that's why I like you, right? (laughs) So we need that. And the more you up-level your life, the less likely you are to have that because people don't want to be offended. We were talking about another person who is in a – whole other galaxy of success i mean this guy is world famous if i said his name you would know who he is everybody knows him and he phones my my client and he says uh yeah i i can't i'm gonna be late for the conference you know can you set up a four-handed massage for me and can you do this and that and and my client who's also a pretty straight guy goes uh i don't work for you <laughs> i don't work you and he said and he said and he said to, and he's, this famous person started to laugh and he said uh Sorry, I forgot. Because we surround ourselves with people who are sycophants. They Mm -hmm. say yes. And they don't stand up to us and tell us the truth. And we all need that. We need that heart connection desperately.
1: Yeah. And I think you brought up another really interesting point. And I think we had a conversation about this when we first met, about the introvert and how your public persona yeah, as perceived by others, maybe this total extrovert that's comfortable, you know, sort of out in the crowds, they have this <laughs> perception that they're living the high life surrounded by people that love them. And it's not necessarily as an introvert, you don't have people surrounded by people that love you, but that may only be two people that are the most important people that are your people. But I think yeah. that that piece of how technology can change the world's perception of who you are, which changes people's expectations when they approach you. So- that's a very
2: good point. That's a very good point. So, you know, that digital media and all that kind of stuff, it does. I mean, we all know that that's part of that world is you're creating a perception. You're definitely creating a perception. And let's face it, you're not going on on social media and saying, hey, my life is crap, right? <laughs> or I'm desperately lonely. Or, you know, it, you know, like I said, we're all taking pictures of our perfect kids and perfect families. But you're right; it creates not only a perception but a set of expectations. And, you know, nice you and I spoke about when we met. I definitely feel like I am. I'm. I've trained myself to be an extrovert, but I am definitely an introvert. It is. It's not easy for me to get out and go into a strange room and meet all those people. But everybody thinks it is, and every, you know, my wife is the same. Everybody's like, "Oh my god, she's so social and she's so warm and she's so friendly." And, and we leave, you and I talk about this, and we leave the event. And I go, oh, you know, I spoke to three people. God, it was really hard. And Ringo, you know, she'll say, oh, yeah, it was really tough. And I'm like, what are you talking about? You were, like, schmoozing and having these deep conversations and everybody loved you. And she's like, oh, it was torture. <laughs> not because, not talking to the people, but just having to put yourself in that environment. So it's very easy for people to perceive a thing. And this is, again, back to self-knowledge. You know, we've gone in a circle again, but it's the self-knowledge. It's, it's understanding that there is a part of me that is gregarious, that is extrovert, and there's a time for that. And there's a t- part of me that's introvert, and there's a time for that. And you have to understand that you will need both. As a human being, you need both. I spent years studying and traveling and, and you know, I meditated in the mountains and did all those great spiritual journeys. And a lot of that stuff was done on my own. But what I know is that for me to be at my best, I actually have to have those deep conversations with people because that's what catalyzes my content. I can go, I have a conversation with somebody and then go away and write some content. Not about that person, but it just catalyzed something inside of me. That wouldn't happen if I, if I gave in to the total introvert. But if I gave in to the total extrovert, then I would never give myself time to be with myself. I never give myself time to question the things that need to be questioned and go to a deeper level of thinking and a deeper level of feeling, which is also important. So I think it's a very poignant piece that you put forward is that being out in the technical world creates a perception and with it a set of expectations that may or not be true. And it's important for us to check with the person we're interacting with.
1: Absolutely. And, and that's such a great point is that taking the time to listen rather than just speak. I mean, we do, that, we do that often, particularly in these big social things where you're at conferences, whatever, you're just trying to get your story out and get your story out. But really the most valuable part of that interaction is when you're listening. So do you have some tips that you often give to your leaders on how to listen well?
2: Uh, Yeah, shut up. (laughs) (laughs) It's very technical. Shut up. But it's but I mean, sadly, it's actually true. Simon Sinek said it best when he said that truly, is the ones who speak last. And I think that it's important to catalyze as a leader. So you know, you go in and you create a catalyst, but not an opinion, just a catalyst. So. If we are going to reach X or we're going to be Y, how do you think we should do that? And then being quiet and really being quiet, so being the last person to speak in the room is extraordinarily difficult for leaders. And part of the reason, just so everybody understands, because you know my background is in deep psychology, part of the reason is because more than 70% of leaders have imposter syndrome, right? So they're wandering around going, oh, shit, I'm going to get caught out, so I better say something smart, as opposed to shut up listen and you'll look smart anyway so <laughs> it's, it's okay so the first thing is that and being willing and this is you know my key for people to have them become better leaders to become better listeners is be willing to ask the question that makes you uncomfortable to answer and then be willing to answer it so a question that makes people uncomfortable to ask is What's the most valuable thing to you if we remove family? And then somebody will usually say health. So let's remove health. So family and health. Some people will say, well, then God, and my religion. Let's remove that. So family, health, God, and religion. And you'll see the person feel uncomfortable. And you say, "I, I realize I'm asking you an uncomfortable question because I care and I want to get to know you. But you better be willing to answer that question because it's not a one-way street. Again, reciprocal vulnerability builds bonds that creates fierce loyalty. I'm going to say it again. Reciprocal vulnerability creates the bonds that creates fierce loyalty. If you want to understand why military people call each other's brothers and sisters, it's because they've got mutual vulnerability. They went through boot camp together. They were in in a hole together. They've had that vulnerability of, literally pissing their pants because they're so afraid and nobody's shaming them around it because that other person vomited because they were so afraid. And it's like, okay, and this is what we've got to get to. So part of listening is understanding that you've got to be willing to ask vulnerable questions and be willing to answer them. And listening means, and this is key, listening means not needing to be right. I want everybody to get that. All war starts in the mind before it ever reaches the battlefield or the courts. All war starts in the mind, and it starts with the need to be right. Look at any war in history. I defy you. Any war in history big or small, including the one you had with your husband, wife, children last night, this morning, five seconds ago. That war started in your mind, with somebody's mind, with the desire to be right. What if you don't need to be right? Is it possible? The great divide in the United States today is there because people are trying to be right, which implies that somebody is wrong. What if nobody's wrong? What if people are right because of it? I, I wrote a big piece around Donald Trump being elected. It went viral. It was called Decoding Trump. And I wrote some follow-up pieces. And people talked about how racists had voted Trump in. And I said, no, they didn't. The same people who voted Obama and voted Trump in, people who wanted something different. Stop making them wrong. They're not wrong. They wanted something different. You may not like what they got that's different, but they wanted something different. Stop making people wrong. We're all, and this is what I want all of us to get. We're all doing the best we can. We're all trying. Every human being is trying to feel better Mm. and we got to get that. And some people are trying to feel better by sticking a needle in their arm. Some people are are doing it, trying to feel better by smoking a cigarette or having a drink or going to church or, or beating on somebody. And as much as that sucks and we don't like it, everybody's trying to feel better. So how can you, as a leader, make your people feel valued, recognized, loved, and better? And here's the thing. As a leader, I'm going to say this to you, and it's going to blow your mind. But you better fall in love with your people. Hmm. And as a man, I'm going to tell you that that is going to feel like I just slapped you upside the head and you want to turn this podcast off. Don't. I just said the most profoundly important thing for you to get. Your partner is complaining that you're not affectionate enough, not loving enough. You think your people you work with you aren't thinking that? Open the hell up. Fall in love with your people. If you do, they will fall in love with you, with your customers, with your clients, and with your products. Fall in love with them. But you can't fall in love with somebody you don't know. (laughs) Get to know people. It will transform your leadership. It will transform your business. It will transform your life.
1: I love it. And that's such a great way to close because it's just, it is. Fall in love and be vulnerable and share that vulnerability for mutual respect and trust. So thank you so much for joining us today, Dov. And for those of you listening that want to find Dov and his work, you'll have all of the links in the show notes. You can find his things at com and also at Dov Baron D-O-V-B-A-R-O-N. I hope we'll we'll get to stay in touch and hear more from you in the future. In the meantime, go out and check out his new book, Fiercely Loyal. And thank you so much for joining us today. It's been a pleasure having you, Dov. And thank you, Digital Selfers, for following us and sharing with your friends and your community so that we can make the world a more peaceful place that's in harmony with technology and the world. Thank you again, and we look forward to you joining us next time. Bye-bye for now.
0: Thank you for joining us for the Evolving Digital Self. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app now so that you don't miss a single episode. While you're at it, please give us a rating and a review and join the Digital Self Mastery movement to create more conscious use of technology by sharing it and telling your friends. Want to see where you fit on the digital self spectrum and how it might be impacting your business and relationships? Get your free copy of Digital Self Mastery today by clicking on the link in the show notes.